Welcome to Open Mind GFO Radio. I am your host Alejandro Rojas, and I am with Martin um, in UFO Willis. Okay. Yes, I. Ha- you called me that before, and I have used that before, and uh, this time I used it because I couldn't come up with something uh, else. And uh, instantly, yeah. But this is the other thing. It's right in front of my face. Is your Skype? icon your oh, logo yeah. and it's got your face kind of hovering above the planet earth <laughs> so you're like this gigantic um i'm the mothership yeah you're this yeah. huge mothership that is your head <laughs> kind of coming to I, I don't know what you're doing here too you almost look like some sort of uh, deity yes of course smiling upon the planet Bota Vista. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's it. Did you put together that icon and what what I was your so. thought that's, process? I have no idea <laughs> why and when I did. I don't even remember. That was when I think I joined Skype. Uh, I think that was like 4 years ago, 5 years mm-hmm. ago maybe. So mm-hmm. I don't even really remember. Okay. So you're not like an extraterrestrial who has come to earth to enlighten all of us or something and that this is what you're trying to portray in this this picture? Well, um probably um, I mean, oh yes, I am. But uh, I probably, oh. you know, just threw that picture together. Well, that's uh, interesting. We'll have to talk about um, what planet you're from and kind of what oh, your yes. message is. Well, Venus, of course. Come on. Oh yeah. 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 Good. Living well, welcome. Here. Yes, uh, it's good to be here. So um, I haven't even told you this. Like, I stayed home. I came home early today because I just, I, for some reason, I'm feeling really ugh, not very good today. So, um, oh, yeah. So that's why I need to apologize to the listeners because that's why this show is not getting up Monday and it's actually going to get up Tuesday, which is tomorrow because actually today is Monday. But it's late, but uh, nobody knows that. Yeah, it's later in the day now they know it. And uh, I'm going to, um, I just don't have the energy or the, like, my brain is not functioning well, so I will not, um, be putting up the show and actually I was feeling I wasn't feeling that great the other day when I did the interview with um, our our interviewee our guest today and I was a little worried about that because it's some pretty heavy stuff for me uh, but I, I got so interested in what he had to say that I felt just fine and I felt that the interview went really well in fact it goes a little long but I interviewed Paul Dean. I know you've had him on the show before, but he's an Australian guy, and I've gotten familiar with him. Uh, I know you and I have talked about him, but he's always sending me stuff on Facebook about I've got these files and I got those files and uh, you know government files from doing FOIA. And at first, I thought maybe he was just kind of full of hot air because I get a lot of these people saying, "Oh, I've found files that no one's ever found before." 
and uh, it's rare that that is the case um, because you know I follow you know this sort of thing quite closely especially like John Greenwald doing FOIAs all the time and others so and I belong to some groups where they talk about this stuff and and he was in some of these groups but you know he would send me so many files it was so overwhelming and I've been wanting to tackle this to get to see what he's gotten at over time I started looking at the files and and he does have some really good stuff and um, and so it's been great I think this is part one of 50 uh, as far as the interview today, getting delving into what he's gotten, and I'll be posting more about what he's finding. But he's kind of following that thread. I mean, we hear Blue Book uh, investigated UFOs; they didn't find anything. And then through FOIA, people like you know, when we talk about this, there's a FOIA researcher Barry G Greenwood. Um, there is uh, John Greenwald, others who have found other files that show that there were other investigations. But the question is, you know, you and I have talked about this, and I talked about it with Richard Hoffman quite a bit in our interview. Where do those files go? Who's got right. those files? And um, that's what's so fascinating is Paul Dean has really been asking that same question, and he's been figuring that out. So. Uh, I think it's fascinating and uh, really interesting stuff. So, yeah, I, I hope everybody enjoys the interview as much as I did coming up here after you and I talk about the news. Yeah, sounds good. You know, it's I I also wonder like where you know if, if something's going on in our airspace, they, it can't be just ignored. You know that someone somewhere has to be looking into it, especially. Mm -hmm. When it comes to like protected airspace, or you know, uh, or near anything military, you know, it's just it, someone has to be investigating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. I agree. Yeah. So yeah, so we'll talk about that. But before we do, why don't you and I talk about some UFO news? And we always let you start this portion off um, because we are gracious hosts to <laughs> our wonderful guest here. Yeah. So what do you got there for us? Well, this is uh, it's titled "Witness Says Photos Show UFO Changing Shape." I'm oh yeah, in, yeah. I'm always intrigued by these, and this mm -hmm. is a uh, Grass Valley, which is out kind of in the middle of uh, nowhere. I've been there uh, towards uh, Lake Tahoe from San Francisco. It's kind of like uh, in a very uh, it's very hot in the summer, mm -hmm. uh, Grass Valley. Uh, and anyway, this happened back. And on May 22nd, not too long ago, and the witness stepped out on his back porch, and just by chance he looked up and noticed a dot in the sky. May 28th. Uh, I'm sorry, May 28th. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh, so he saw this dot in the sky. You're, this sounds very intriguing. What happened next? Well, he thought it was a planet, but after observing it, he realized it was moving from left to right, east to south, and a slight upward angle. And uh, he realized it was uh, not a planet and uh, too slow to be a satellite. So uh, he basically sent his uh, friend in to get a camera or a phone or whatever and started taking pictures of these. This thing went up into a higher altitude, sort of like into a, a transparent cloud, and then uh, it just faded from sight. But while it was moving, um, it was... Uh, well, you can see it in the pictures on the uh, website that first of all, 
first of all, it's very defined, or in one of the pictures, it's very defined and oblong, and then it's kind of like squashed looking. I mean, it really it looks like something kind of unexplainable. You know, I mean, it doesn't, a, a balloon wouldn't do that. A number of things just plain wouldn't do that. So, um, and I don't know if it had anything to do with photography. Someone like Mark D'Antonio would know that, but, uh, but it is really some intriguing. There's five intriguing photos um, right in the in this article. Yeah, the photos are weird. I would agree, and I think some of them, in fact, most of them are camera problems. Like, uh, actually, three out of the five pictures, I would say, looks like it's just out of focus. However, you have very clear images on the first and the fifth mm -hmm. photo. And they are distinct objects in the sky. Colors are similar in each. Um, it could be a white or silver thing that's reflective. And but the the shape is distinctly different um, in both of the pictures. Like very different. I mean, one is kind of like a oblong shape and uh, up and down, and then the other is kind of like um, it's hard a canister with round little things on the bottom. Right. Uh, really weird. That is pretty weird, unless it's some kind of balloon tumbling or something. I don't know. This is a weird one. I agree. I like this one. Yeah. I don't think it doesn't look like something that would be tumbling, because if mm -hmm. you look at the... It just wouldn't... Um, the Shape-wise, it wouldn't really make sense, because it's sort of round-looking when it's mm -hmm. oblong. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second picture is squatty with, like you said, little like a canister with little, like, almost looks like legs sticking out. Mm -hmm. It is really an odd duck. A little squatty, a squatty duck. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but interesting. The squatty duck UFO, I like that. <laughs> yeah, Start that's up. a good one. That is a good one. Um, there's another video, that one was posted by Roger Marsh, and there's a video that was posted by Roger Marsh also, um, and this was from May 26 at 9.30 p.m., now this video is a white dot. It's pretty bright, but it's moving pretty steadily through the sky. It's a little cloudy, so it looks like it's this side of the clouds. Did you see this one? Yes, I did. Um, and however, I kind of feel like this one is a Chinese lantern. He said it was a translucent square with yeah. a sphere in the middle, which is a good description of a Chinese lantern. Now, the field investigator for MUFON said he didn't think that's what it was because the, the wind was going in a different direction um, was one of the reasons, and he thought the, the um, speed of the object was not like a balloon. However, um, I don't know. I don't agree with that assessment necessarily. Winds at different levels go different directions, and uh, given the description and the movement, at least in the video, it really, I think it probably a Chinese lantern so um, I don't know people can take a look at what do you think am well, I am I wrong on this one I it's awful hard to say in yeah. my opinion because the thing looks so tiny in the uh, video mm -hmm. you can't really I mean if it was blown up um, and and you know didn't lose the uh, you know its quality you could actually see a lot more about it but it's so far off yeah it's it's really hard to tell and it's, it sounded like you're kind of it was kind of like based on the witness testimony what he was seeing but you certainly can't really tell in the video yeah unless you're looking at it in some type of computer I'm not I mean now I have a 
Yeah. Well, it's just it's just that it flickers. Mm-hmm. I think like uh and and the description fits a Chinese lantern like perfectly. Yeah. Um so those darn things. Those damn things. Well, you know, as we just get more and more as we've talked about before, things with lights on them um up in the sky. In fact, I'm surrounded with uh these little LED lights right now here and there throughout our house because uh there was a party here for uh we had for uh, um my girlfriend's teenage daughter because uh, she was leaving for uh a trip and uh, so she had her friends over and we lit up these balloons with uh led lights in them mm-hmm. and you know the helium's died and now these things have popped and these little tiny i mean these leds are so small and here we are a week and a half later and most of them still have power. So, wow. yeah, I'm looking at, there's one over here. It's still lit up. So, I mean, the technology with these LEDs is amazing. Um, I mean, this little one right here, I could tape this to absolutely anything. Or I could tape a dozen to something and, and float it in the sky, and it would look pretty uh, pretty cool. So, yeah, so many different things, lights in the sky these days. Right, so many things to... Yep. Call be called a UFO. So Roswell, Roswell, the story that knows never goes away, and some people get really upset about that. Um, and uh, actually, uh, there's a new Roswell story here, and it's really interesting. I think. Uh, well, if you look at it on the surface, it's just another story, and that's one of the hard parts when it comes to the Roswell alleged UFO crashes. It's mostly anecdotal stories um, from these people. How do you know uh, if you can trust them or not? Because some of them are so elaborate. And um, and that's all you, that's not, that's mostly all you got. So who do you believe and who do you not believe? And uh, people may be thinking, these stories are dime a dozen, so why the heck would I post yet another one of them, especially from an anonymous source? But here's the deal, is that um, this was posted by Mary Joyce of Sky Ships Over Cashiers. She's a very um, hardworking person in this field who is always looking for stories and posting some stuff. And uh, this one's interesting um, in that she just, she never posts YouTube videos. This is her first YouTube video, but she felt that this interview with a friend of hers over this uh, alleged metal that uh, this lady played with as a child that she believed came from the Roswell crash that uh, if you listen to it that's what's interesting so you can read my story and some people have and some people have even said you know what this is just uh, another story Um, but I implore people even you know you don't even have to read the article just hit play right at the top on the video on the top and you can hear this lady tell her story and she just you can tell she's articulate and intelligent and uh, it's just really interesting she says as a 10 year old kid she had a boyfriend who um, who and she was a military brat essentially they both lived at Wright Patterson uh, Air Force which is also you know where Blue Book was housed and where everybody believes that's where they would have sent the material uh, because uh, that's where the Division for Foreign Technology is. And so this, her boyfriend's dad was a colonel, and he worked in a very secretive area. According to the kid, you know, he lived in, a, he or his office was underground. Even he had to take an elevator underground. 
But this kid got a hold of this strange metal, and it sounds like the metal you hear about Roswell. They could crunch it, they tried to cut it with scissors, um, and uh, they couldn't destroy it, they burnt it, and these kids sounded, you know, she talks about how they were just very curious and, uh, and intelligent sounding kids, and they kept trying to do all of this different stuff, uh, testing this metal. Finally, um, it's kind of funny, because actually she says, her dad, you know, used to go around and he couldn't tell them where he was going on his missions. Um, she doesn't think he did anything UFO related, but one time uh, she read about Silly Putty and asked her dad when it first came out to get her some. So he did, and she was playing with it, and uh, her boyfriend, who she calls John in the story, saw it. And he just went crazy, he thought it was the coolest thing ever, and he said, I'll trade you the metal, the weird metal for the Silly Putty. And she's like, well, I don't know, um, but finally he talked her into it. And uh, But then uh, this guy, the colonel, came and and was really, up, I guess, upset, mad at his son and the kids, and said, give me this back and never tell anybody. And she said she was afraid of the guy because she was only a kid, but she also respected him. She respected, you know, the military and everything, and, and that she never spoke about what happened until now because she believes he's he's passed away. Uh, and she really did not want to say anything. In fact, Mary Joyce has been friends with her, she says, for something like 25 years. And she told her about this something like over 20 years ago. Um, but she said, I don't want to be interviewed about it. And finally, now um, she's decided to be interviewed but stay anonymous. So you have to have hear her tell the story. Now, in the story, she never says, I know that the colonel told me this is from Roswell or this is from a UFO. He never said that. So this metal mm -hmm. could have just been um, some high-tech metal that they were using in, in craft that they were developing, or maybe a metal that they retrieved from a Russian um, um, crash or something like that. So we don't necessarily know that it is UFO or that it is from Roswell, but that's, uh, I think, the assumption that Mary Joyce and her friend are making here. But Mary Joyce says her friend's very well-respected in the community. I talked to her about this um, she says, uh, you know, she's she's uh, she just really believes her about this. So, um, and if you hear, you can see why this woman. Uh, she's she's definitely with it. I mean, it's not like those deathbed confessions where the um, it's an older person who sounds delusional. Um, and honestly, a lot of these interviews sound like that, uh, mm -hmm. but not this one. She's definitely got her wits about her, um, and it's 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 a fun listen. Uh, so. Definitely listen to it. Just don't read the story because if I were you and I were to just read the story, I would be like, whatever. But um, listening to it is what's really compelling. Yeah, I listened to some of it, and uh, and it was uh, interesting. She talks about putting it in an oven and letting mm -hmm. it sit there for a while and then reaching in, and it was exactly the same temperature as it was when she put it in. They also brought it to a... Um, yeah. A blacksmith, a horseshoe uh, farrier, and um, had him mess with it. And yeah, uh, pretty cool. Whatever the metal was, if it wasn't, it was, I guess it was 10 years after. Um, so who knows? Uh, it's very, it's possible. It's an, it is an interesting story. Yeah, I guess it is possible. I mean, Jesse Marcel Jr.'s story is not too dissimilar, where, you mm -hmm. know, his dad brought it home. Um, you know, so maybe this guy did bring it home and the kid snuck some away or something. Who know? I don't know. Or maybe the kid went to the office and because um, 
I guess she talks about how on Saturdays they were able to go to the base and run around. They couldn't go everywhere. They could go to the store and the pool and stuff like that. They weren't supposed to just have go anywhere. But um, so I don't know. But it's it's very. I think it's interesting and it's it's worth a, a listen. So um, I wonder if she ever got her silly putty back after her. Metal you know what? Yeah. It's funny you should say that because as we were talking just now, I was thinking the same thing. Uh, she better have got her silly putty back. Yeah. But uh, right or maybe right. yeah. yeah, or maybe her uh, dad got her some more. But um, yeah, if that kid wanted to keep his girlfriend, he probably gave it back. Yeah, should have. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all the news I have. Do you have anything more? No, I am all done on this side. Great. Well, I'm really excited to, um, I, and I hope every the listeners are excited to hear what Paul Dean has to say. I think um, this gives me hope because sometimes you, when you're working with the military and getting uh, information, you you hit brick walls, and uh, it, it almost to me feels like Paul's broken down some of these brick walls. So, um, yeah, I think people will find this really interesting. Great. Have a great show. Thanks. Let's talk to Paul. I am very happy to welcome to the show Paul Dean. Hello, Paul. Hi, how's it going? Good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm um yeah, uh yeah, going very well. It's um Saturday morning here, so we're a bit ahead of you. Yeah, where is here for you? Okay, Melbourne, Australia, so down in the southeast of the country, uh-huh. below Sydney. Um so literally on the other side of the world to you. Yeah, literally. So that's cool. So 7 a.m. on Saturday, and just for the listeners to know, it's like 4 p.m. on Friday here, so we're pre-recording this interview. So that's fun. Yeah, no, it's going to be very, very good. Yeah, sorry sorry to get you up so early on a Saturday. That doesn't matter. No, that's fine. Okay, great. So you are a busy fella. You are essentially uh, doing FOIA requests like crazy. Uh, here in the U.S. for UFO files, and it looks like you've gotten a lot of stuff no one else has gotten before. Um, what started yeah. you on this path? What decide made you decide, hey, I'm going to figure this out and do this? Okay, so that's actually a pretty good question. Um, I've been studying the UFO phenomena since I was um, 13. I'm now 37. And, um, and uh, I guess um, I guess I got... I got taught in virtually all books, virtually everything you read is 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 semi unsubstantiated or unsubstantiated or mm-hmm. it's um it's it's very, very difficult to clarify. You can't see uh, you often can't see, you know, very specific and detailed scholarly background evidence to cases or, you know, US Air Force policy uh decisions or, you know, United Kingdom processes for processing, I don't know, radar data, whatever. And as the years went on, I, I just read more and more more books, and I found that the only thing that really satisfied me that there was something, something probably really was flying around, was actually government documents, particularly from the United States, not solely by any means, but especially from the United States. To me personally, um, if I if I could see a document that was signed off by say a colonel or a rear admiral or whatever that that discussed something that 
that that shouldn't be happening at say the buzzing of a warship by a unknown craft or um you know a series of very unusual lights in the sky that's uh, seem to focus in on a base you know a military base whatever that that seemed to me held a lot more weight than just an endless stream of hyperactive stories um so anyway i i found out um the actual first serious book i read about the topic was um 1987 book called above top secret by timothy good now mm-hmm. it does have problems all books do but at the time the it's a it's a 600 page book and um at the time um i it's just the level of detail that he and it's not even it's not even considered that powerful now but the level of detail he would go into um as far as misinformation disinformation um you know 180 degree turns within classified documents from what was being told to the public um you know whistleblowers and etc that got me hooked and um and then i found out uh, over the years i found out that um in fact as as extraordinary as it may seem that you in the united states australia england to a lesser extent germany that if you do things the right way you can actually ask government agencies for records about anything and that's what got me hooked so um about three years ago in australia i started uh studying you don't uh, to me it was useless simply foi you know freedom of information requesting the australian defense department for anything on ufos i mean it's so broad it can mean unidentified radar contacts on 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 primary radar systems it can mean correspondence with ministers it can mean anything um so i started to learn how things were done here so how you know civil aviation bodies what you would call in america the faa federal aviation administration but here in australia bureau of air safety um, i started learning how they did things i started learning how they took uh, reports from pilots about safety issues i started to investigate how they physically stored data um, and i started sending very very specific foi requests to australian agencies and all of a sudden all this stuff started coming out so i've started the exact same thing with the united states and and i've had great success in both countries um you know uh, the, the last time things were foi'd on this scale was in the late 70s when robert todd Barry Greenwood, Lawrence Fawcett, and Todd Zeckel started pummeling the what you call the three-letter agencies, NSA, DIA, CIA, FBI, with FOI requests. And what came out then was extraordinary. So I'm attempting, with the help, I've got a guy in uh, England who we work together, um, but I'm attempting to do exactly the same thing in the United States, and um, so far we've managed to do it. Mm-hmm. So with Timothy Good's book, because... Uh it's a great book. I mean, it's a classic book. There's a lot of uh, really important information uh, that he has shared in that book. But like you said, you know, a lot of it is anecdotal or alleged documents. They don't link back to actual official documents, although some do. He tried. He he's at least better than many at giving his sources. Was there a particular document that uh, in that book? that uh, you said whoa you know this is real that you you sought and retrieved and, and uh that really kind of opened your eyes yeah there was that look there's a few there's one that's probably a bit of a surprising thing it wasn't about a case it was a policy hmm. um in the united states um uh y- 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 
during the 40s and 50s and 60s, UFOs, when reported, particularly from within the military, within the Army, Air Force, Navy, Marine Corps, they were supposed to be reported using a channel called uh, Air Force Regulation 200-2, Unidentified Flying Object. But um, there was actually another slightly more classified uh, reporting channel called Service Reporting. Uh, it's Communication Instructions for Vital Intelligence Sightings. And what happened was, in Timothy Good's book, he highlights, I remember the exact words, he says, he says um, from 1954 onwards, a series of quote, communications for vital intelligence sightings were laid out and promulgated in Joint Air Force-Army-Navy Protocol 146. And the results since 1969, the results, like any records of actual pilot sightings laid down, like submitted via the service system, had been classified. So what he's basically saying is is that after nine, like continuing after 1969 with the closure of Project Blue Book, the America, right actually up until 2011, Americans, the American military through the Joint Chiefs of Staff promulgated an entire classified system called service reporting, as I said, for specifically reporting missiles, planes and unidentified flying objects for pilots. And it got me because, because not in the United States, not one single service report by a pilot or or any investigations or analysis of that report of a UFO has ever been released. Like, like you know, service report. The service reporting channel has been around for so long, but not like, like, like nobody in the United States, NORAD or First Air Force or Eleventh Air Force. They're the places where service reports finally go. No one has ever released any service reports from the United States military. And I'm thinking to myself, there must be hundreds of them. And, I mean, just alone in Canada, Canada's released their service reports up till 1996. And just for the 90s alone, there's like 30. And Canada's got a very small air force compared to the United States. And, you know, much less planes, a lot less flying time, less pilots. So I did the math. Even back in the 80s, I did the math and I thought there must be hundreds and hundreds of service reports by pilots that have never seen the light of day. Mm -hmm. And this is at a time as well when the US Air Force had said... Well, Edward Condon, the head of the, the Colorado Project and the Secretary of the Air Force, had said that UFOs are of no interest anymore. There is no place in the United States, except airports and the police, to report UFOs. And yet here in dead black and white in the JNAP uh, documents was, was these service instructions for pilots. The actual system works if a pilot's flying along and if he gets dragged off by something, I don't know, the shape of a gridiron ball at 2,000 miles an hour, he's supposed to say down the radio system, service, service, service. Then the it goes to an encrypted scrambled, scrambled channel. Um, he is able to directly talk to the nearest command and control or air defence base. He... Uh, says what he sees, like what latitude, longitude he's at, what altitude he's at, what the object looked like, how many there were, what colour it was, you know, did it nearly hit his aircraft and so on. That report is 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 vocally transmitted to NORAD. It or used to be Ent Air Force Base, now it's Peterson uh, Air Force Base, um, and and there it will would stay and they would do some analysis on it and you know particularly if it was a flight safety issue or it happened right near the Russian border or something. Now. Now, like I said, I mean, um, that, that's how a service procedure works, and the public are not told about this. I mean, 
uh, I know in 1996, a congressman called uh, Patty Murray actually asked the United States Air Force, look, what's the latest on UFOs? What's all this closure of Project Blue Book stuff? And they came back to her and they said, no, there is no new reporting channels in the last 40 years for UFOs. It's all closed up. And yet here we have in black black and white, we have service procedures laid out for the American military, particularly pilots. That's the sort of thing that got me. That's where I started thinking that, you know, there must be so much more information out there. We've already been released a heck of a lot, but there must be so much more out there. And the more I looked into it, the realised I study, I study policy documents and procedural documents. I found out that service procedures are not the only way that the US military can report UFOs to themselves. There are, you know, three or four other systems. And I've got actual examples of where UFOs have been reported on those other systems. And um, so it looks like we've got a gold mine in front of us held at the National Military Command Centre, NORAD, um, Tyndall Air Force Base, Elmendorf. Um, so, yeah, so, so yeah, you asked me what a, a powerful document was. The service procedures were one of them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really interesting, and to clarify, so, of course, we have tons of Blue Book uh, reports, but what you're saying is uh, the service uh, reporting uh, uh, method is separate from Blue Book, so... <laughs> not those, only is it... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not only is it separate, but Brigadier General uh, Carol H. Bolenda in 1969 actually wrote... Um, he wrote in a memo called the Belinda Air Staff Study or Belinda Memo. He actually had the nerve mm-hmm. to write, um, you know, UFOs that affect national security have never been part of the Blue Book system and current systems replace the Blue Book system, you know, into the future. Mm-hmm. And then on another line, he says those systems are service reporting. And then there's another one he writes called Air Force Manual 5511. And Air Force Manual 5511 is another one. And that's uh, even more serious. That is, um, it's called, uh, yeah, Air Force, uh, it's, it's called Serious Incident or Air Force Serious Incident Reporting. And that too can be used for UFO reporting. That's right back from the 60s. So, yeah, so what I'm saying is, is that, is that, um, the US government has had systems in place there's actually a third one and there's probably a fourth as well the US government has had systems in place to accept UFO reports off its uh, military officers yeah mm-hmm. so you've probably heard this story I know that John Greenwald went to look for those service documents and he like you said uh, was not able to get them from the US but he did get some from Canada um, and did you had the same experience yeah, kind of. So it's really interesting. He he actually, yeah, okay. So um, John Greenwald did look for so anyone anyone that's one of the if you want to FOI the U.S. government now for anything about UFOs, that would be one of the first places to go, and that's exactly what John Greenwald did a few years ago. He he, I think he FOI'd specifically for any service reports submitted to, you know, the United States Air Force Magcoms or headquarters or NORAD. Um, that involved unidentified flying objects, unusual, you know, drones, whatever. So he got, he got told, he, I think he got told, I mean, we've all been told, others have been told that this, that service reports are of a, quote, transient, unquote, nature and are not kept for longer than, sometimes they say six weeks, sometimes they say two years, 
sometimes they say five years. So John Greenwell got completely knocked back. He was told that there was no service report. I think he was told that there was no service reports currently in the in the you know reporting you know database um, that that had been kept. Now um, I find that very hard to believe because one Canada had kept all of theirs for you know two decades. Two. I just I, I I know a lot about how the U.S. military works, and it is absolutely inconceivable that a hundred million dollar F-15 that nearly gets slammed by a you know UFO midair and the pilot reports it via the service system. I find it inconceivable that only after six weeks or you know three months or whatever that that service report would be torn up or deleted from the deleted from service database i just i i know how this works and it is just inconceivable maybe after five years if, if nothing came of it like no safety incident no um you know no war fighting mission related issue whatever maybe then but not after six weeks so i've had the same experience me and my friend in england have also uh we have we have foi'd uh peterson air northcom norad we've foi'd the uh headquarters united states air force and secretary of the air force and assistant secretary of the air force for all service reports you know in the last 10 years and we got knocked back saying that we cannot find any responsive records so what we did some, uh, something else uh, is that service reporting actually was cancelled in uh, 2011. It was actually removed from Air Force Instruction uh, 10-206. So what we did, we decided, well, if we can't get any actual service reports, what we'll do is we will get documents out of them asking for the rationale or the reasons behind why they moved the, removed the service reporting system from uh, the instructions. And we actually got a few documents out. We we couldn't find any reasons why they've like um, killed off service reporting. We did find some internal emails that they released to us, and some of them just simply said, "Look, it was an Air Force Policy and Plans Directorate in um, the Pentagon, and it simply said, "Look, NORAD does not require service reporting procedures any longer." Another one was a matrix, which is a list of changes to any existing document. And it also said nor, um, service reporting is paragraph 62, whatever, is cancelled because NORAD no longer requires service reports to be submitted to their command. And um, we look, we don't know why it was removed. We don't know why service, we don't know what they've been replaced by. I think I think I know, but we don't know for sure. And um, we're still we're still appealing that, like we're still saying to them, look, you can't make major policy decisions like this and then not be a paper trail. That's minutes of meetings, commanders' briefs, discussion papers, opinion statements, mm -hmm. internal emails, uh, concurring statements, and so on. So yeah, so um, John Greenwald's given it a crack. We've given it a crack. Um, I like I said, I find it unbelievable that one um, that service that that no U.S. pilots have ever. Um, reported ufos files so that's what they've told they've, they've effectively told us by knocking back our request they've effectively mm -hmm. told us no we have nothing um and then i find it inconceivable that even if they did have anything that that only be kept for a few weeks or months so yeah that's the story so you have not been able to get any service documents either no, not actual service wow. reports. I've mm -hmm. got I've got internal policy material, right. like I said, but I've got no actual service reports. Now, yeah. I might there might be another way of doing it. Um, like I said, when a service report gets 
transmitted by a pilot down the radio system. First, it goes through the nearest um, air traffic, like an air defence base. We might be able to go straight to the air defence bases like Tyndall, Elmendorf, um, you know, uh, Peterson, McCord, and so on. But that's very slow. It means you've got a FOI, you know, two dozen bases across the whole United States, and they're probably all going to come back with different answers. So that's one way of doing it. You know, it's it's very slow, and um, yeah. So there you go. So, uh, but there were other channels. So, tell me about the uh, the manual. Uh, what was that? Manual fifty four. Oh uh, yeah, a, a manual fifty five eleven. Um, manual fifty five eleven is was first promulgated or first you know created in about nineteen sixty nine uh, sixty six I think, and um, and what it actually states is that is that. Uh, major events like any what they call um, what they call Air Force reportable events can be submitted by uh, let me just say I'm just getting it up in front of me um, yeah so so the uh, the system is actually the actual system itself like the actual screens on the computer screens uh, is called an Air Force operational reporting system and the it's the information about that, how to use it, is laid out, or or, or it was laid out in an old manual called Manual Fifty Five Eleven, Operations Air Force Reporting System, and that we also think because the general. Uh, uh, Brigadier General Belinda said in 1969 that service reporting and this manual 5511 was just going to be just fine for reporting UFOs in the future. Now, um, Air Force manual 5511 um, was promulgated two decades after the 1960s. So we think that, it, you know, if we go to the, back to the Air Force and say, well, you're not going to give us service reports, maybe you'll give us any UFO reports, Submitted under 5511 Operational Air Force Reporting, um, so that's that's quite powerful as well. I don't know what the differences are. I don't know if they have to give more detail in the report or if it's more highly classified, like you know, secret instead of confidential or whatever. But yeah, so that's one. But there are more. Um, a really really big one that I've just actually done a blog about last night, and this is something that's it, that really really will cause waves. There is a third system specifically for bases. Pilots can't use this. It is called the OPREP three system, which is Operational Report Category three, which means serious incident slash serious event reporting. And what I can't believe is, okay, so an operational report three is any event or incident near a base, above a base, or on a base, where the commanding officer or someone you know ranked very highly can report really serious, unusual events directly in real time, immediately to the National Military Command Centre, the alternate National Military Command Centre, NORAD. Um, the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Office of the Secretary of Defence all at the same time. He can report anything he wants, riots, shootings, anything miscellaneous. And what's so stunning is, is in the 70s, there was a bunch of UFO reports from bases, US military bases, where the commanding command post officers had actually reported the UFO events via the OPREP 3 system directly to the Pentagon, not through another Air Force base, not 
confidential or unclassified, I'm talking secret, directly to the Joint Staff and the National Military Command Centre. We've actually got examples from Loring Air Force Base in October 1975, Worthsmith Air Force Base in November 1975, and uh, Pinecastle uh, uh, Pine Electronic Test Range in Florida from 1978. And every single one of these documents... They say things like, you know, this is Pine Castle, or this is Loring, urgent, urgent, we have an unknown helicopter slash object above the nuclear uh, weapons facilities, um, we don't know what to do, uh, we need your answer within five minutes. And these OPREP 3s have actually been sent, and they've been released to us, they were released in the 80s, and not enough people took notice. Now... These OPREP 3s are kept for a very long time and they are submitted to the National Military Command Centre and they are considered very serious. So, um, yeah, I've, I've highlighted five different documents, and there's more, I've highlighted five different documents where, where major sensitive US military installations have reported what only can be described at minimum as really weird helicopters, and at most they actually use the term UFO. They actually say oblong UFO or circular UFO, and, the, and it's sent, it's sent with OPREP 3 precedents straight to the highest levels of command. And the great thing is the OPREP 3 system is still in existence today. So we think that we think that any bases, and we've all heard the stories about nuclear missiles or nuclear guidance systems or bombers being knocked out or tampered with by UFOs, we now know in black and white that base officers have been submitting OPREP 3s about such incidents straight to the Pentagon and the White House. And, um, you know, like... That, to me, is extremely powerful. Um, just as an anecdote, um, there was a researcher... I'm not the first person to find this. Um, there was a researcher in the 90s, a, a UK researcher called Armin Victorian, and he was hot on the trail of these OPREP-3s, and he harassed the Office of the Secretary of Defence no end for OPREP-3 reports involving UFOs. And he was actually told in a letter... It's, I haven't got the letter, it's in England. <coughs> but he was actually told, and I quote... OPREP 3s containing information regarding unidentified objects over US military installations are considered extremely sensitive and are thus not releasable. Wow. Is, yeah, no joke. That is an extraordinary statement. So first we have this going on in the 70s, OPREP 3s being sent about UFOs to, to the Pentagon and the National Military Command Centre. Then in 1990, we have... Um, and Victorian being told that, that objects over bases are considered extremely sensitive. OPREP3 systems still are in existence today. I actually know someone that works at King's, um, King's Bay uh, Naval Facility in, I think it's uh, George Rock, South Carolina, um, and I actually asked him not all oh, six months ago, I said, do you guys still use OPREP3s? And he actually said to me, he said, not only do we use them, he says they're one of our main form of drill practice. He says, if you want to get guys out of bed, um, say there's an OPREP 3 going down. Yeah, that's what he actually said. Um, so so what we are doing now is FOIing both the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Office of the Secretary of Defence for any OPREP 3s in the last, you know, say 15 years that have involved unknown objects. And it's an extremely slow process. We know they're going to knock us back, so we're going to appeal it. And uh, yeah, so there you go. Mm -hmm. So with these OPREP 3 uh, <coughs> reports that or, or uh, files that have come out uh, with the unknown helicopters, are these just then uh, what you're able to receive, the uh, message 
to uh, command, but uh, or are you able to actually get uh, any further reports or investigations? Yeah, very good question. I like that. Um, where I, what happens with an OPREP 3, first the OPREP 3 gets shot off from the base, and then mm-hmm. five minutes later, uh, look, it's changed over the years. Some, it used to be 15 minutes later, I think, but, but sometime later, the commander who sent the original OPREP 3, he's got to send what they call an OPREP update, which it, it tells you know National Military Command Centre um, what's going on now, what's going on next, what's going on now. Like, it's got to be constant because it's really serious. And um, so we were in the 70s, it was actually Robert Todd and Barry Greenwood who got, basically, cut a long story short for listeners, a bunch of Air Force, huge strategic air command bases across the northern tier uh, border with Canada, all in the same week got overflown by miniature helicopters, massive helicopters, helicopters that weren't helicopters, UFOs, things that look like light aircraft but made no noise, bizarre, I mean bizarre occurrences, kind of looked human-like but probably couldn't have been. I mean, one object seemed to go from Loring Air Force Base to Falconbridge in Canada at something like, you know, in 10 minutes, and that means it was probably going at a 1,000, well, in your language, 600 miles an hour. Now, the Apache helicopter can't even do that, and it wasn't even invented then. So, you know, so so these OPREP-3s get sent, and then the National Military Command Centre will create its own records, like memorandums of understanding, things like receipts saying, yes, Loring, we received your message, we are on the telephone right now to you, or things like they're called DDO talkers, Deputy of... Uh, Deputy Director of Operation Internal UFO, or sorry, Internal Talker. And so we were able to get both the original OPREP 3s from the bases, plus the updates, plus internal National Military Command Centre memorandums and talkies about those OPREP 3s. So you'll see these things, you'll see the National Military Command Centre writing out, you know, memorandum for urgent appraisal um, subject, UFO overlawing contents. Um, urgently checking with West, with Eastern Hemisphere desk for temperature, temperature inversions over Loring. Two, phone conversation with Loring indicates unusual helicopter still on base. Three, another OPREP 3 update is expected in three minutes. Four, um, you know, object has now moved to bottom of the base as told by Brigadier General Smith. Five, like that. So you get these constant, this unbelievable... Um, this this barrage of, of internal telexing and carbon copies of printouts. The crazy thing is, we didn't. It, Barry Greenwood and Robert Todd, they didn't get everything. They were knocked back. I mean, they were consistently. I mean, even NORAD was involved in one of these cases. The OPREP one, OPREP three says we've requested air support, like actual tactical air support from NORAD. So NORAD actually flew in fighter jets to identify these visual. These potential aircraft and the aircraft actually, these weird objects actually nicked off just as the planes arrived, and so we see all this in writing. And what gets me is, is that is that our UFO researchers who were doing this, you know, in the middle of the night trying to get some answers, they they um, they were actually knocked back. There was a lot of documents that they couldn't get out because they were just too highly classified. Now, um, you know, again, another mystery. Mm-hmm. What? I, this is pretty incredible, I think, um, because these cases aren't as well known, um, and and they sound pretty uh, intense. Um, what? So you talked about you know this wave that happened uh, kind of in the border of uh, Canada and, and this one object. What are some of the other incidents you've you've kind of found there? Okay, so. Um 
uh, well, from the time, I'm actually pulling out my folder now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let me just have a look. Um, and you know, can I a lot of these about... be found on your website? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If anyone's interested, all I have to do is email me. I can send you 300 do- Anyone, I can send hundreds and hundreds of documents um, mm-hmm. about this, um, about these matters. Hold on, just give me a second. I'm just... Um, absolutely anyone can find these. They are all over the internet. All you would have to do is type in, um, go to Google and type in 1975 overflight, um, uh, OPREP 3 or situation or, um, you know, Canada-US border, and you'll find, anyone can find hundreds of documents. The weird part is, is that, like I said, for a week, these these unknown objects and, and funny-looking helicopters and stuff were flying over these bases, but there was no bar to their operation. I mean, no one got prosecuted. The FBI were called in. There is, we've got, we've got FBI documents, Office of Air Force Special Investigation documents, um, Strategic Air Command documents, NORAD documents. No one investigating this could figure out what was going on. No one was prosecuted. Nothing landed. No one tried to refuel and do it again. No Russians were caught. There was nothing seen, you know, beforehand. It wasn't like it slowly built up. It just started bang on the 27th of October 1975. But what's really odd is that the more the researchers dug into this. They started FO. We, we knew that it had happened along the Canadian border, but but for it just just for a crack, um, uh, the researchers in the 70s decided to FOI quite a few other bases around the United States and right into 1976. And the same things were going on there. What's weird is 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 that you know at, at Cannon Air Force Base there was a UFO reported just outside the base, like in the air, that was shaped like a donut of silver gold colour and um, flashing lights on it, and and it was actually signed off like the actual message. It was sorry, it was a it was an internal National Military Command sent a memo. It was actually signed off by a. Um, by I think a rear admiral who's very very high ranking. I mean, if this stuff wasn't serious, there was no way that the deputy director of operations for the NMCC would be even touching this stuff. There's so um, you know I've uh, so th- these documents are absolutely available. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. I mean, it'd be great too. Um, so what? Uh, since you've been doing this work, what have you found that you feel is new that no one else has discovered? Right, okay, I will tell you one thing um, uh, that is very important, I think. Um, I'll try and cut it short because it's quite complex, but um, the NORAD, who is North American Aerospace Defence Command, they are in charge with uh, the United States and Canada's air sovereignty. Well, the FAA is too, but the, the NORAD really is the key in America and Canada's air sovereignty airspace management and aerial warfighting capability that's hijackings terrorism from the air that's uh, uh, interrogating unusual aircraft that shouldn't be there uh, watching drug smuggling aircraft um, you know coordinating military flights within civilian airspace and so on now NORAD when they pick up something on radar that is not talking on radio like something just pops up on primary radar and it's got no associated code with it, like it's got no 
Um, it's it's got no flight plan established. It's it, it's immediately called an unknown track, and NORAD NORAD battle space controllers and air traffic controllers they just watch it, and they'll they'll say to it, look, they'll say down the radio system, they'll say, look, um, we see you, uh, you're coming in over I don't know um, Plattsburgh. Um, New York, whatever, and they'll say, um, can you identify yourself? Can you get on the radio? Because right now you're breaking the law. And if that if that object just keeps flying around, doing a few circles, whatever, they call they continue to call it an unknown track, but then they raise the precedence. They say, they say, right, we better get a couple of jets, turn their engines on with pilots in case we need to intercept this thing. If this unknown track this unknown radar track that's that's appearing on these unbelievably cutting edge high tech screens if that continues to not you know land or you know talk back or doesn't if it's if it's doesn't call a mayday or whatever then it it gets really it, it gets uh, the, the the term gets upgraded to a norad remaining unknown and that's when the jets actually take off to intercept it wow now norad has always said NORAD has always said in writing that we do not study uh, after the event, like whether the thing lands or it's shot down or it's you know or it's or it vanishes because of its it's a, it's a bad radar glitch or whatever. That NORAD has always said to us, we do not study unknown tracks or NORAD remaining unknowns. We just don't do it. They don't say who does do it, but they say we don't do it. Well, I found a 1996 NORAD document, and in there on page 10. It discusses unknown tracks and NORAD remaining unknowns. And right at the bottom, it says something really interesting. It says, copies of these types of reports will be sent to the Centre for Aerospace Analysis for further study. Now, then it says in brackets, Centre for Aerospace Analysis is a NORAD-US Space Command joint Center. So first, like I said, NORAD says we do not study unknown tracks other than while they're going on or NORAD remaining unknowns. But then in this formally classified document, it says that, you know, that that un copies of unknown tracks or NORAD remaining unknowns will be sent to the NORAD Center for Aerospace Analysis. So I'm thinking the NORAD Center for Aerospace Analysis is where, so like if we believe in UFOs and if UFOs do appear on radar, which we think they do sometimes, we've got this too many cases in Project Blue Book, there is too many whistleblowers, there is too many cases from the airports. So we've got to assume that UFOs do appear on radar. Then we've got to assume that NORAD, who has some of the best radar networks in the whole world, we've got to assume that UFOs also appear on their radars, and that means that when they appear on NORAD radars, they are classified as unknown tracks or NORAD remaining unknowns. And it says in that document that they go to the Centre for Aerospace Analysis. So that is where, if you, if we have cases where UFOs have appeared on radar over North America and have appeared for quite a while, like not just glitches, but solid targets, then we are, I'm sure that they are studied at this Centre for Aerospace Analysis. I've got another document from the Government Reform Committee it's a question and answer document after September 11 where the Government Reform Committee in the House of Representatives actually sent NORAD um, a bunch of questions about September 11 and in there they say, they say, look, with all these unknown tracks and unknown targets around Washington DC, um, they ask a few questions and then they, they ask one question, they say, they say, um, with, you know, um, with any unknown tracks that you guys pick up, um, 
what happens later on? How do you study them to, to improve performance? And NORAD's answer was, again, these unknown objects, are the, the reports, like the actual radar data, is sent to the Centre for Aerospace Analysis. And so now I've got it twice in writing. Um, I've also seen emails between the 84th Radar Evaluation Squadron at Hill Air Force Base, Utah, and uh, NORAD's uh, com Command and Control Centre at, at, um, at Peterson Air Force Base, also saying that they study unknown tracks. So there is no doubt about that now, the Centre for Aerospace Analysis doesn't exist anymore. I don't know what it's been replaced by. It started, it was raised in, in about 1988, and it was actually dissolved in about in 2006. So um, I don't know what it's been replaced by, but I can assure you that, that, that any weird unknown radar UFOs are held, like the documents, the data, the radar imaging, any analysis, weather analysis, etc., is held somewhere in NORAD, and that, and, and that we've got that in black and white. Now, that to me is very, very powerful. Yeah, that's pretty incredible, and I think what's really interesting about this um, is that, and, and you would know better, is that when I do like a, a search for the Center for Aerospace uh, Analysis, you find practically nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I know. found uh, on a NORAD site a person who you is got an referenced. Award? Exactly, who got an award, <laughs> who works for the Center for Aerospace Analysis. But that's it. I found, uh, and this is an interesting group. You've probably heard of it. The Federation of... American Scientists. Exactly, who is kind of a... An advocate for open information. You can. They're a great organization because they're scientists looking for information on defense and everything, and uh, they have something on it. But uh, that's that's. Per, I mean, uh, typically, uh, even at, even Space Command has their own website. Yeah. Um, so that is sort yeah, of strange. It means yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. This is not a public-facing organization. <laughs> no way. I actually have had the nerve, because um, I'm quite cheeky with this, um, <laughs> I've actually had the gall to go to LinkedIn, and, mm -hmm. and like, what I've done, I've... I've ah. Yeah, so there's the, the, it's not just Centre for Aerospace Analysis anymore. There's another organisation within NORAD called... Uh, it's called NORAD J33 Airspace Management, or you could write J33C, and they also apparently study unknown tracks as well. Now, I've had the cheek to type in every conceivable keyword, and what I do is what I found is some of the only some of the only stuff I could find is actually people's LinkedIn pages, and it might be you know a major, I'll say major Bree Smith, who uh, and you'll see a LinkedIn page, and it'll it'll say currently working at um, Air Force Twenty One, uh, you know, tw Air Force Space Command Twenty First Operations Wing. Um, previous history: NORAD Command Center, uh, NORAD J Three Three Operations, or Center for Aerospace Analysis. Now, I've had the cheek to go and actually get these people on Facebook. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, they that you know so no one's talking yet i mean they find it a bit odd but i mean i'll do anything <laughs> like i'll do anything to 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 sort this out um you know so yeah so are they located then um it looks like they they were part of space command um yeah. so space what? command 
doesn't exist anymore. It got absorbed into the US Strategic Command in nineteen in two thousand and two. So, in the eighties and nineties, the Center for Aerospace Analysis was a joint NORAD and US Space Command uh, center body. Then, when 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 US uh, Space Command was absorbed into STRATCOM, um, the Centre for Aerospace Analysis became uh, under NORAD and NORTHCOM, which is Northern Command, which controls the military for North America. So yeah. basically, first it was a joint NORAD SPACECOM centre, then it was a joint NORAD and NORTHCOM centre. Um, and so, it, it, look, it is very hard to find stuff. It is, it isn't a new organisation. Like I said, I've been told reliably, I think that it, it, that Centre for Aerospace Analysis vanished in two thousand and six, and I don't know what it got replaced by. Um, I will find out somehow. But um, you know, so uh, it, look, it is really important because if NORAD, it, look, NORAD are exempt from the Freedom of Information Act. They do have to follow it by spirit, i.e., they do have to respond to you. They do have to search for records. They don't have to release anything. They barely even have to tell you if they found anything. They don't even have to tell you why they won't release it. But they will do some work, and you know, in time. Um, I will, you know, maybe in the next month or so, I will definitely FOI Northcom slash NORAD and ask for any mission records, um, you know, uh, even uh, any analysis done on unknown tracks done at the old Centre for Aerospace Analysis, whether they've kept the files, I would say they probably have. But, um, you know, it's just a constant process. I mean, it's very, very, very slow. Mm -hmm. Now... Um there still is at least a group calling themselves Air Force Space Command. Is that separate then? Yeah. Uh, so U.S. Mm -hmm. Space Command was an organization uh, from 1980 to 2002 that was actually comprised of elements or sections of the United States Air Force Space Command, the United States Navy Space Command, and the United States Army Space Command. So, so U.S. U.S. Space Command from eighty to two thousand two was was basically a a huge body, but but really what they were was a collection of three entities: Army, Air Force, and Navy Space Command. So, Air Force Space Command, specifically for the Air Force, they still exist, and it's one of the biggest. Uh, major commands within the United States Air Force, Air Force Space Command. I think they're the headquartered at Peterson Air Force Base. Um, they control satellite launching, um, you know, uh, satellites, uh, a design, um, uh, satellite upgrades. Um, you know, the interface between space and aerospace, computer systems for space management, space warfighting policy, etc. Et so yeah, but US Space Command has vanished, um, and it's it's it was absorbed into Strategic Command, which is based off off at Air Force Base, Nebraska. Out of Nebraska. Yep. So okay. if you want, so yeah, so US Space Command, which, like I said, was was a combination of the three component commands: Air Force, Army, Navy, and and but they got absorbed into Stratcom, which is based in Nebraska, and um and you know so a lot of what the old US Space Command used to do is is currently done by US Strategic Command. So um, yeah, it's an interesting piece of history. So somewhere in Strategic Command, uh, it seems likely would be where these uh, reports are going. These unknown tracks. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Well, I still well, like, uh, I I think that in the atmosphere, certainly in in what we call air breathing and in, in aerospace, I think it's still within 
uh, I, th I think unknown track reports and uh, NORAD remaining unknowns are still held at NORAD. Now, for space, I'm not saying Stratcom wouldn't know about it, but for space, outer space, that's all done at Strategic Command. It's actually done at a place called the Joint Functional Component Centre for Space, which is based at Vandenberg Air Force Base. And the actual building is called the Joint Space Operations Centre. So that's another story altogether. That's when you when they pick up something unusual in space. That's it, it's called something completely different. It's called an uncorrelated target, mm -hmm. um, and it's picked up by one of thirty sensors around the world, um, and then it's tracked to make sure it's not. Uh, it, the, the first thing you want to do is anything in space that shouldn't be there or, or that you've never seen before. The uh, strategic command want to be absolutely sure that it's not an incoming missile that threatens the sovereignty or safety of the United States or Canada. That's the first thing they do, and then they see if it's in orbit or if it's going to crash into Earth or it's space debris or whatever. But yeah, so um, there's no doubt about it. There is a vast amount of highly technical stuff related to the UFO matter or sort of semi-related to the UFO matter that is held at NORAD and STRATCOM and in archives. That's the other thing. I, I say, I often have to pinch myself and say, you know, like I'm asking NORAD or STRATCOM or even in just generally the United States Air Force for records. And the thing is, a lot of them have long gone, you know, you, you know, they're packed up and they're put in, they're put in, in, in these basketball, basketball stadium like warehouses. They're not, it's funny, they're, they're too, Old, There's so many records from the 80s and 90s, they're too old to be kept on Air Force or NORAD bases, but they're too new to go to the National Archives. So they're kept in this limbo period. I know that there's a huge facility in St. Louis that uh, keeps um, very sensitive records. Um, and we can't, you know, even under the FOI Act, they just won't search because it's too mm -hmm. big a job. Um, you know, so uh, it, it is frustrating, but yeah. And then these records often get, quote-unquote, lost. Yeah, 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 the old lost. Destroyed, lost, or, like, segregated, or misfiled, or... Yeah, now, some of them, look, I, I do know that a lot of records are destroyed. There is absolutely no way that they can keep everything. I've seen the mm -hmm. National Reconnaissance Office document scheduling, and a lot of records are legitimately destroyed after one year or five years. Contractual records, um, you know, building maintenance records, you know, um, occupational health and safety records, um, personnel records, even things like applications for annual leave or vacation, you call it, or, you know, base security measures. They're, they're all just, I mean, I don't, it's very hard to see what is kept long term, I mean for 50 years and what's kept medium term, like for say nine years and what's kept short term for, you know, a year. It's, it's, it, you know, and, uh, but yeah, I, I know the situation, for instance, like with the NSA and the DIA recently saying that they've lost the original, all those, you know, redacted documents that we got out in the 70s and 80s, they've now suddenly lost the originals. Mm. Um, it is possible that they really actually have, and or they're just not looking hard enough because, you know, um, the amount of paperwork that these organisations kept in the 70s and 80s is so vast that, you know, I read once that at the, at the National Security Agency that some of the printers, like some of the stationary equipment, were actually printing out six-ply paper. So a message would come through from another building and, you know, a message could be something so simple like we've run out of coke in the vending machine and it would be literally printed out on six bits of paper. One would go to the guy that's supposed to receive it, one would go in the bin, one would go to archives, one would go to the first guy's boss, the other one would go to a temporary archives for safety and statistical purposes and so on. I mean, they just can't keep it. 
you know, so... But at the same time, you know, I find it very strange that some records are supposedly missing or lost. Um, I have seen incidences where you have to be very suspicious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I knew this conversation would be like this, and, and that's why I was, one, excited for the conversation, but two, I knew that... Um, I mean, because you uh, often will barrage me with information, and it looks interesting, and, I, and I'm always like, I need to tackle this, but I don't know even where to start. But that's what's great about this conversation is I'm starting to get now an idea of where to start. And, and what I like, I'm so happy that we're talking, is that now my the listeners can also you know, get an idea of the structure out there. And what's great about what you're doing is this is kind of the, you're following the thread, which is what's really important to find out what's really going on out there. Because yeah. when we are asking um, people, uh, officials about what's going on, we need to be knowledgeable and we need to do that, follow the thread as to uh, where, what is happening and when. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it is really important. Someone told me something once that is is was key. They said to me, with any given agency, find out when the security was at its weakest. It could be the nineteen, it could be nineteen fifty nine, could be nineteen seventy three, whatever. Find out when security was at its weakest when they were releasing documents or making a lot of public statements or like press releases. Find out when the organization was at its weakest and then follow the thread forwards to, you know, to 2016. So classic example, Project Blue Book was run under Bo, uh, it was run for a while under the United States Air Force Research and Development and then United States Air Defense Command. Um, it was physically ran at the Air Technical Intelligence Center, which later became the Foreign Technology Division at Wright Patterson Air Force Base. And in the early 60s was probably when the uh, security was at its weakest. They were releasing documents. Um, they eventually, all the Blue Book files eventually went to Maxwell. And someone told me, you know, ATR, Air Technical Intelligence Center turned into the Foreign Technology Division. Well, what happened after that? Foreign Technology Division turned into the National Air Intelligence Center in the 70s, and then the National Air Intelligence Center changed its name to the National uh, Aeronautic and Space Intelligence Center, NAS, uh, NASIC, in about 1995. And this person, this researcher, he's awesome. He's very private, but he told me, he said, he said, old habits die hard. If you find that, you know, if we know that the Air Technical Intelligence Center and then the Foreign Technology Division were definitely doing UFOs in the 50s and 60s, old habits die hard. Were they still doing them in the 70s, then the 80s, then the 90s, then 2000s, and now? And... And sure enough, if you look at the lineage, nothing much has changed. The, the 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 old Foreign Technology Division and Air Technical Intelligence Center, it's now called NASIC, but it does exactly the same as what it did 60 years ago. It mm-hmm. studies foreign objects, it studies plane engines, it studies unusual weather patterns that affect, you know, um, combat jets. It it, it studies missile uh, propulsion. It studies, you know, unusual, um, you know, unusual flight paths taken by I don't know Chinese jets. It, it studies all sorts of stuff. So, yet another place to look for UFO uh, records or UFO um, appraisal discussions, meetings, whistleblowers, whatever, would be NASIC. At right back 
It's where it all started, right? Patterson Air Force Base, where it all started in 1947. So it sounds so easy. Sometimes people say, Paul, you make it sound so easy. It can't be this easy. And it's not. Of course, it's not. It's just, it's all hypothesis at the start. But these hypotheses, hypotheses have led me to interesting developments that, um, now I will tell you one thing. This will, uh, this will make you laugh. Um, I have to ask though, did you recently, um, put on Open Minds TV a, 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 um, a blog about the FAA and that one page they have about calling National uh, UFO Reporting Centre. Was that you? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So they release. Yeah, they release what they release. Everyone else they release that 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 it's an right. air oper- They release that air operations manual that says you know you know pilots who see UFOs uh, unless it's a, like unless they nearly crash you know but if it's a pilot that sees a UFO just call this number blah blah blah. Well. Uh, I've got some good news for you. We've got a whole lot more out of the FAA, and um, I'm going to publish it as absolutely as soon as I can. Um, I'll I'll leave you on a hook with that. But we pushed really hard, and they released a whole lot of stuff, and it's really interesting. I'll give you a clue. There is a form that FAA air traffic controllers at certain sites, not all sites, but at certain types of FAA sites, there is a form that an air traffic controller urgently and it is a ufo proforma it is a form that says you know what station they were at what time the ufo unknown in unknown aircraft what time it appeared on radar what time it disappeared on radar um what direction it was going was it inbound to the united states was it outbound um you know what radar frequency was involved um that sort of stuff so they've that and a whole lot more they've released yeah they've released a whole lot of stuff and it took us three years but we um forced them yeah, mm-hmm. we forced them. Um, well, that's awesome. So I'm really excited to hear more about that, and we'll definitely write something up, and, and we'll talk to you more about that. But um, this is cool because now we have – because to me, I guess maybe because I've done this and, and I, I, I understand, uh, just what you've described sounds not like making it easy, but making – I mean, I understand the large amount of work because – uh, you have to make so many requests in so yeah. many different ways to get documents to find these little scraps and crumbs and, and it, literally breadcrumbs that lead you to the next step. So uh, I can appreciate the huge amount of work uh, that what you're talking about has taken. Uh, mm. And it's awesome that you're doing it. This is so extremely exciting. Yeah, yeah. Look, it is, it is, it is quite exciting. I mean, it is. There's a lot of obviously misses. I mean, at any one time, like I said, I've got a friend in um, England called David Carmichael who does it as well. And at any one mm-hmm. time between the two of us, we've got 50 FOI requests out or 30 or whatever. I saw one funny thing once. Northcom NORAD released a log, like a data, like a table of FOI requests for 2006, uh, 2015. They released. This this log and it and it's got columns like date when an FOI request was sent to Northcom NORAD and then a like the the person who like the surname of the person who sent it in and then you know um, if it was knocked back or if it's still pending or whatever and when you go down the second column the only thing that's in there is our names it goes Carmichael 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 Dean oh, Dean wow. Dean mm-hmm. Carmichael Dean like this and it's really quite embarrassing because I'm thinking I'm just you know in one sense I'm, they must be so frustrated um, but you know in another sense. Um, you know, I think that that I mean, this is your. I mean, the other thing that gets me is I'm able to. I, I, I'm doing all this from Australia, and he's my friend's doing it all from England, and and I I I am a bit. You know, they 
they they must be a bit baffled about the effort we put into this, but it does <laughs> need to be done because I mean, in in the end, if nothing else, mm-hmm. like forgetting potential uh, extraterrestrials or whatever, the fact is the matter. This relates to your air safety, like mm-hmm. you know, it right. it does actually it relates to your national defence systems. You know, mm-hmm. it relates heavily to flight safety, fair paying passengers. You know, you know, probably you know Dick Haynes, Richard Haynes runs NARCAP. I mean, he would tell you black and blue that there has been so many near misses between objects that have never been found that have shot mm-hmm. off into space or what or you know like that have behaved weirdly and you know it is a serious issue the other thing is um is that you guys are paying for this like if there is a cover-up or multiple little cover-ups around the place right like it, it's not coming out of their pockets it's 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 something that you know push comes to shove where it's 2016 this this the, these vast records have been around particularly these really classified records have been around since the 70s well you guys are paying for it and you know, and it, and it shouldn't be like this forever. You know, I mean, if I had someone had have said in 1990 that oh, this 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 caper, this cat and mouse game will still be going on in 2016, I think the likes of Timothy Good and you know a young Richard Dolan or whatever would have said, ah, oh, baloney, it'll be all out by then. Well, it's not, and right. you guys are forking, you guys are coughing up the bill for it. And mm-hmm. um, so that's another thing is that, and I think it would let a lot of people off the hook. I mean, there must be a lot of colonels and admirals and majors out there who are actually a little bit embarrassed about all this and a little bit a little bit awkward going home every night knowing that that sometimes their you know 150 million dollar combat jets are completely outrun by something that looks like the shape of I don't know a computer mouse. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's it must be quite difficult for some of these people to. Um, to keep this from their families and so on, um, you know. Uh, so, yeah. And I mean, th- th- I know that a lot of them are public servants, but you know, uh, when the FAA responds to John Greenwald and says the only UFO document they have is that one piece of a manual, that yeah. that's disingenuous. It's dishonest. It's a, it's and you know, I think it can be interpreted as as, as a lie. And just like uh, you have demonstrated here. You know, when the Air Force or other say they're not looking at UFOs, that's not true. They are looking at unknown targets, unknown tracks, uh, but they're not sharing that information or sharing what you've discovered, these these channels uh, that these yeah. reports are getting funneled to. And and I would and I guess my last question I was gonna uh, save this, but because uh, uh, we're running over, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Would be, I mean, all of the name changes of these departments, uh, why is that happening? It almost seems like that uh, also can help serve to keep uh, this information out of the public eye. And yeah. That... yeah, it is a really, I think a lot of it's, mm-hmm. but look, a lot of it's budgetary, um, a lot of it's fiscal, a lot of it's amalgamating. You might get two squadrons, like, I don't know, the 11th, 19th Night Fighting Squadron and the 11th, 19th Night Fighting Support Squadron, which are really mm-hmm. the same thing. They, you know, they, they emerge them to make something like the 11th, 19th Composite Squadron or something like that. A lot of it, a lot of it is to save money and to streamline. But yeah, look, there is definitely this frustration where you do wonder, I mean, you do wonder if the constant name changes, the base changes, like, you know, there's one really suspicious squadron that used to be at Hill Air Force Base called 84th Radar Evaluation Squadron, we've just found out it's up and left now to, Lack- uh, to uh, Langley Air Force Base um, in, I think, Virginia, uh, wherever it is, um, near CIA headquarters. Now, um, you know, you just think you're onto something. You've got a full address that you can write to and a phone number, and all of a sudden you find out that they've um, they've done a runner on you. So the 
yeah, yeah, it is, it, it is very, very difficult. Um, they can lie to you. I mean, when you say, you know, they can lie to you in the blink of an eye and say, no, that organisation does not exist, when really what they mean is, well, the organisation technically doesn't exist, but it right. just changed its name. You know, exactly. like, or, it, yeah, or it became, uh, you know, or it changed its code or it moved address or something like that. That's, that's frustrating. That's where you just got to be on your toes. It is very boring. People, people say to, like, I talk like this and people say to me, how can you be bothered to, this is just remembering all these acronyms and these addresses and all these database names and these you know names of brigadier generals and major generals and stuff and it, it is actually very poor it is very 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 um you know it's a real head it, it's very 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 um dense and um and right. sometimes i don't even enjoy it um uh, i will <laughs> tell you, i know we're over time but i will tell you one other thing uh We've also found so if there's you've heard of cases where possibly uh, combat jets or, or aerial refuelers or whatever have uh, have crashed, like where you've got an aircraft crash, where potentially UFOs have been involved. So Mantel, the Mantel incident is one. Um, I think it was probably a skyhook balloon, but um, mm. it, it might not have been. The Walesville crash in New York definitely related to a UFO of some sort. We've actually found where those files are kept. How's that? Mm-hmm. So if there's any UFOs that have slammed into planes, they are currently, they were kept at the Norton Air Force Base uh, Air, um, Air Safety Inspection Centre. That's, as I was saying before, that's actually moved to Kirkland Air Force Base and is now called the Air Safety Agency, I think. So their files date back to 1952. And wow. in those files, there is a certain section of the file called the Board of Proceedings. And in the Board of Proceedings is describes circumstances around the actual aircraft mishap or crash or loss or whatever and and um that's apparently we've got it on good word is there are some cases that definitely involve ufos so you've mm -hmm. got american you know air, military aircraft that are potentially being lost or have been lost in the past and and these these records are certainly not released i can assure you of that even to congress even to the armed services committee so um yeah another interesting lead mm -hmm. wow well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this. Of course, we'll definitely be in uh, contact, and I'm sure the listeners, just like me, are feeling like they want to hear and talk about more. But, uh, I mean, an hour flew by, and we were able to scratch the uh. surface. But, you know, what you've done here, because I've always been fascinated and always uh, I felt that, you know, curious about Space Command's role, NORAD's role, and where that information goes from NORAD. Uh, and and a lot of people who, who follow those leads kind of feel like uh, we, we've followed it as far as we can. But uh, that's what's great about what you're doing. You're following it further. So much further, yeah. Yeah, so, so that's really exciting because that kind of opens up layers of the onion and uh, more avenues to pursue. Yeah, yeah. Look, we are very, very determined. I am, I am very aggressive about this. I actually got a, um, an email from um, Strategic Command the other day, and it, the final words were: it was over a particular matter. It was over where certain records were kept, uh, certain records from the One Command and Control Squadron were kept. And he actually, I just been harassing and saying, you know, you, you know. Uh, but anyway, it, it, the final email said, Mr. Dean, I will not discuss these records any further. Like, so wow. then you start another... I mean, the other day I got an email from NORAD saying, will you call us? That's really weird. Like, I, I sent an email to NORAD. It was a public relations inquiry. I asked a bunch of very specific questions. Mm -hmm. They emailed me back immediately saying... Um, 
saying, uh, I think it's best if you call us, uh, ask to speak to Mr. Whoever on this number, and that's the person you need to speak to. They won't even, sometimes they, they frighten to put stuff in writing. Um, right. they are, they are sick of it, but, um, but at I the same time. I ran into that. Yeah, yeah, so, but it had, does happen. It's, it is unusual, it does happen. But, um, what's interesting, is, like I say, I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't spend another moment on this if I thought there was nothing to it. And like mm. I say, it's, 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 you, you guys are paying for it and it is your airspace. And one of these days, when a UFO does slam into a packed civilian airliner over, you know, a huge urban area, um, then, uh, then there's gonna have to be some really serious questions to be answered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the U.S. is, is tasked with um, the defense of of so m- all of our allies. Um, yeah, 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 and yeah. Taking yeah. a lead, so it is the interest also of of everyone in the world. So. Yeah, particularly Canada, and particularly mm-hmm. in the Middle East, around all yeah. the air operations center in Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, um, NATO allies, the Mediterranean fleet mm-hmm. of the Navy, the Atlantic fleet of the U.S. Navy. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a serious issue. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. All right. Well, thank you so much for getting up in the morning and talking to us. And, of course, people can go see a lot of uh, material. And uh, you've, your top story, like you said, you just released this yesterday about Op Rep 3, yeah. uh, is on the front page of your site. And that's uh, UFOs documenting the evidence. You can uh, Google that and find it. Otherwise, it's UFOs dash documenting dash the evidence yeah. or the dash evidence. You know, dot blogspot dot com dot au. But um, uh, we'll also, of course, put a link uh, in the uh, the show notes. So um, thank you so much. That's all right. Okay, thanks heaps, Alandro. Is that how I say your name? I, I can't say it. You you said it pretty well just now. Alantro. My my accent is quite strong. Um, yeah, yeah, right. that's, that's no problem. I, it's fun to hear the different ways that people say it because, to be completely honest, and people who speak Spanish will tell you this, I don't even say my name correctly, <laughs> uh, as at least as far as it, from the Spanish way. So, um, so no problem. Okay, thanks, Alantro. Thank you so much. For Paul being on the show, that was a really, I found his interview fascinating. And if you want to find out more about this, um, you can go to that UFOs Documenting the Evidence blog, Paul Dean. um, And he's got some information up there too. Also watch our website because we are planning on working together and getting more of his stuff up there. And as soon as I can, I'll write some more about this Op Rep 3. What's great about Paul too is when I talk to him, even these documents I haven't seen, he'll he'll be quick to tell me, I'm not the first to find this document these people did or those people did, which is really cool because, um, like we talked about, even when I felt, you know, I was the first one to receive some documents, I, I, I uh, did some more research and found out that uh, others had found them also in the past, just uh, not promoted them or, or just, you know, had different... Um, things they were looking for because sometimes we all run across this stuff when we're looking for something else so I think this is great like I said at the beginning of the show uh, sometimes you feel like you you are up against a brick wall uh, as to who's doing what and that's what I want to know you know we can claim that oh you know the government's doing this or that but we really need to dig to figure out more and I just am confident that um, that we can Um, I think it's, uh, John Alexander puts it a good way. He um, says, you know, for a lot of UFO researchers, you can't have it both ways. You can't assume the military is a bunch of idiots and they can't figure out 
this or that or they can't figure out what to do with this phenomena uh, at, but at the same time um, say that these pe same people you think are, are idiots are so vastly more intelligent than anyone else that they're able to hide this uh, all up so no one else can see it there's there's got to be an in-between and as time goes on uh, we ought to get like what Paul's getting is these breadcrumbs to follow what's going on where and uh, that's what's interesting where are the files going I mean Martin and I and and you know when we have people on these shows we're, we're talking about this so often is where are these reports going and uh, I think Paul Dean's on to something to figure out where they're going and he says he's also on to where pictures and videos might be going and uh, you figure that out and then you're able to FOIA these and get some more information so really fascinating stuff you know um, this is the real research um, I've been told by someone who is out there purporting that you know uh, aliens are here and, and everybody knows it um, and I ask him how do you know this and, he, and how are you going to prove to you know politicians that this is a case and he says he tells them just google google it and you'll find it well, Google it, and you're going to find a lot of crap out there. You're going to find a lot of junk. Um, and so it's hard to decipher what's not junk uh, from what is legit stuff. And that's what we're trying to do here on the show every week and with the rest of our stuff. So, um, so thank you so much for joining us again. Again, I apologize for the day uh, or for the show coming out a day later. Um, and thank you so much to the people who donate and help with the show so for instance thank you to martin willis and uh his show podcast ufo thank you to caleb hanks for doing the music at the beginning and the end of the show caleb's music is really cool if you go to openminds.tv and to the radio page you'll find a link to more of his stuff you're also going to find a bunch of new ads uh, all over our website for the UFO video portal. The portal we've really beefed up. We're adding videos every day. And now there are tons and tons of videos up there for people to watch. So, you know, for it's like the Netflix of UFOs for one low fee. You're going to get to watch all of this incredible stuff, including all of the lectures from the 2016 uh, conference. The other... Speaking of the UFO Congress, the other ads you're going to see out there are ads for the UFO Congress. We are beginning to take registration. Uh, you know, I haven't been really pushing that big time because uh, I'm still working on getting the speakers, but I will have names out soon. And I gave you a name last week, actually. Ha <laughs> ha! Just for you radio listeners, you got a little sneak peek into our speakers for the UFO Congress this year, at least one. But I'm very excited about that speaker, and I'm very excited about the other speakers that we're going to have, and I think you will be too. So stay tuned for that. Um, go check out openminds.tv for the latest. You, there you'll find the links to the UFO Congress. Uh, and as you know, as many people know, more and more people are registering early because they just have faith that we are going to have good speakers. Uh, and thank you for that. And uh, and that's why we work so hard to make sure that you all are not disappointed. And I don't believe you will be. So this is going to be a great year, another great year. Um, really, really excited about that. I'm always excited about stuff, aren't I? But uh, there's a lot of exciting things going on. 
you know, some people talk about how this field is dead or there isn't anything going on. But, um, you know, Martin and I never have a lack of things to talk about at the beginning of the show when we're just reviewing the week. And, of course, uh, myself and my guests never have uh, a lack of things to talk about. So there's always stuff going on and, and interesting things. So it, it's not dead by any means. So thank you all for keeping things alive and returning uh, each week to listen to the show. Um, be sure to check out our YouTube channel for our UFO report so you can see some of these pictures and videos that uh, Martin and I refer to. And of course you can see all of it on openmind.tv. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Adios muchachos.